The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and happy opening day to everyone as finally the 2022 Major League Baseball regular season will be underway. The Chicago White Sox open this season Going on the road, visiting Detroit on Friday, April 8th, who just got better as they acquired Austin Meadows from Tampa Bay. In this episode, we dish out our 2022 season predictions for the Chicago White Sox. 2021 was a cakewalk for the Southsiders, winning their first division title since 2008. It won't be as easy in 2022. As I mentioned, Detroit is better. Minnesota signed Carlos Correa and might be on the verge of adding another starting pitcher. Kansas City is calling up Bobby Witt Jr. on day one. And Jose Ramirez is deciding to stick around in Cleveland for five more years. Again, we are not expecting the White Sox journey to -to back-to-back division titles to be an easy road. But we have high expectations of this ball club, and so does the local media, and hell, so does national media, as more and more outlets are picking the White Sox to win the World Series, or at least get there. Do we agree? Let's get into it by introducing first the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. Hello, Jim. Howdy. Also join us is our special guest. You can listen to him on 670 The Score, middays from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, on the Odyssey app. He also hosts a podcast called The House of L that has transformed into a podcast network. He's one of our best friends of the show. It's Lawrence Holmes. Lawrence, thanks for joining Jim and I. What time is my show on in Apple Plus time? (laughs) What time is it on at Peacock time? Because I'm not sure. About anything anymore. Uh, I think you got the 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. slot on yes. uh, on Peacock. Finally, me and Arsenal <laughs> together again. <laughs> well, Lawrence, today on your show, as we record this Wednesday night, April 6th, uh, you had one of our friends join you, my brother from another mother, Stephen Nelson from MLB Network. I highly recommend everyone to go on the Odyssey app to listen to that segment because Stephen... <laughs> 
Steven spoke like a White Sox fan, and he spoke for a lot of White Sox fans and his critique on how the organization handles their business when it comes to the offseason, aiming for more quantity than quality. How would you grade the White Sox offseason? It's so funny, Josh, because he he really was speaking to us and through us when he brought up Michael Brantley. Like that, that is the exact same conversation that I had with you guys last year about Michael Brantley, and he he was feeling it. I I think that the Kimbrel move for Pollock made the offseason much better mm-hmm. than what it would have been had they gone into the season with Kimbrel still on there or getting back a player that couldn't help them immediately. So I. If I'm giving them a grade, I'll give them a B minus. I, I I like a lot of the things that they did. I like Kendall Graveman in, in their bullpen, the, the addition there. I was kind of sitting there going with the Josh Harrison thing. I'm like, okay, like it's fine. Mm-hmm. I still don't think that they did enough in their rotation. And that would have been clear. And that was my feeling before. Lance Lynn got hurt that they they hadn't done enough it was so weird because because Steven said that too he's like ah, I felt like they're they're two arms short and I felt like they were two arms short before Lance Lynn got injured so I'll I'll give them a B minus um I they could have done so much more mm-hmm. and that's the frustrating part for me it's that you're in the window like, be in the window, be of the moment, and take advantage. There's no move that's gonna gonna secure you a World Series in March or February, but there are moves that you can make that give you a better chance in October. And I think that they missed out on a bunch of those opportunities, and and it stinks because it feels like they missed out on it because they were kind of being cheap. And Jim, you know, Pinos gave the same grade as Lawrence did on SoxMachine.com with his annual offseason grade, a B minus. I agree with Pinos and Lawrence. At times, though, when I look at that grade, I feel like I'm being generous to Rick Hahn because I really, I I really like AJ Pollock. So, Jim, how would you grade Rick Hahn for this offseason? I think I'll go low. I think if you guys went with C or C plus, I would have said B minus, but now that you've said B minus, I'm going to say C plus or C just to balance it out. Cause I feel like it teeters on that. I think when it comes to position players, you know, that, that side of the roster, I do think the AJ Pollock deal bailed him out or, you know, I mean, he did it. So he bailed himself out with it, but just that makes it look a lot more complete. I don't know if Andrew Vaughn's life flashed before their eyes and he just you know, was able to pull off a deal that wasn't there before, but the outfield feels so much more sound. Even if Pollock is only a 110 game a year guy, it's just, it's a level of production and security that wasn't there before. Infield's fine. Josh Harrison is not exciting. I would have preferred either Josh Harrison or Larry Garcia, not both of them. It feels like a little bit of just, um, spreading there's like spreading a thin layer twice <laughs> it's just hmm. not quite uh, solving a problem it's just uh you, you know two layers of uh like budget paint you know you'd rather just you invest good money in a uh you know benjamin moore top tier paint and, and ha- only have to do it once save yourself uh you know a few hours with uh, extra work but when it comes to um you know just the pitcher side i wrestle with it a little bit just because i think carlos rodan 
was so good for them for $3 million. And that makes spending and designing rotation so much more, so much easier when you can spend for Lance Lynn, spend for Dallas Keuchel, have Giolito, you know, making his way up through arbitration, have cease at the league minimum. And then you complete a rotation with Rodon who finishes fifth in the American league Cy Young making 3 million. And, and that's, that's almost like a cheat code. That's almost like uh, mm-hmm. fixing ratings after you sign somebody like and playing MLB the show, just like, okay, we'll give him a, we'll sign him for 2 million. Then give him a 99 fastball. It feels like he, he messed with the machine somehow. And when you up the degree of difficulty, it becomes a lot harder to fill that spot. So when I look at that, the pitching staff, like I think it was going to be hard for it to avoid being worse without maybe foregoing a position player addition like Pollock. But I do think like that period of time where the White Sox were spending over $50 million on the bullpen makes me think there was some mismanagement. There was a little bit of uh, losing their way or fixating too much on individual moves and losing the thread on the shape of the team. And I think the Kimbrel trade bailed them out a little bit, but just there were some wobbly moments in this that I think maybe was the result of misdirected attention that could have been spent more fruitfully elsewhere. Yeah. Cause before the Pollock trade, I had the white Sox off season, like at a D minus Lawrence. Is that where you were at before Kimbrel got sent to Los Angeles for Pollock? Yeah. Because I, the, I, one, I like I said before, like they're I thought they were a couple of arms short. Mm-hmm. And two, had they been saddled with the albatross that was Craig Kimbrell, then it would have been almost a complete failure of an offseason. I think that their willingness to always be in the place of things are going to work out in our favor is uh is is not a strategy. It's it's a wish. <laughs> You know, like, like that's, that that's kind of how I feel about it. And I, I want them to be right. Like, I want them to be like, yeah, you know, we, we totally, but they shouldn't be in this position of trying to get lucky. They're already good. Their, their lineup is already fantastic. Mm-hmm. Do what you got to do to bolster. It. And even, even with that, I kept thinking, and I know that he's not a great fielder. I I know I and I know that I have an affection for Nicholas Castellanos that maybe other people don't. But I think about his bat to ball skills and getting on base, and him batting in the two hole for the White Sox. And I go, yeah, man, that would have made a lot of sense. And and I know that we're we're spending someone else's money too, but twenty million a year for a player like that to me is worth it. And I. I want to see them go for it. Like this is the this is the time where I wish the pragmatism of Rick Hahn was superseded by the aggression of Kenny Williams. Like this is like perfect Kenny Williams mm-hmm. time because of what you need at this specific moment for the White Sox to do. It's funny well, that you. That- it's funny that Lawrence mentions Kenny Jim because mm-hmm. our friend Beeflo from the 108 in his blog post about this trade mentioned that trading a a Craig Kimbrell for a 34-year-old outfielder teetering on the edge is a Kenny Williams-type move, and I I kind of agree. Uh, So that's maybe that type of Kenny Williams move saves the White Sox offseason. But go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Well, I think that would have been a Kenny Williams move if we traded like 
Michael Kopeck for Pollock. Like uh, that, that would have been probably more of the classic, uh, you know, aughts Kenny Williams. And um, but when it comes to like Rick Hahn, it just seems like this is that byproduct, I think, of the stability of the front office is that Rick Hahn often manages the team like he's going to be the one cleaning up the mess eight years from now if they do sign that uh marcus Semyon deal if they do sign that manny machado contract like other gms would say well if this works i'm fired anyway or if this doesn't work i'm fired anyway so i'm going to leave it for the next guy i'm going to go for glory and at least have a ring to show for it for my next job and uh because of i guess the security or the loyalty what have you they always manage though like you know what happens in 12 years like you shouldn't be thinking like that. This is, this is a competition. And, and uh, if you lose your job, so, I mean, like base, good baseball men uh, always find jobs mm -hmm. uh, in front offices. May, they might have to take a step back and assistant role or to have you a special assistant, then get back in the seat. But this is a case where, yeah, it is that the kind of, uh, you know, you almost wish he would Dombrowski it, even though I think, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm really curious what that means now in Philadelphia with no uh, defense, defense to speak of. Like, I'm really curious to see how that works out. That might have different meaning, but just the uh, let's, let's sign Prince Fielder. Let's replace Victor Martinez with Prince Fielder because we can, and because this is our time and we'll clean it. We'll, we'll take care of the fallout when it, when it happens. I think that kind of attitude would probably better serve the White Sox right now, especially since like they don't really have a, next wave of farm talent to supplant what's already there. Like they kind of have to win with who they have right now, unless you're, you know, as Lawrence mentioned that it's the kind of situation where, you know, maybe they're crossing their fingers and thinking like the farm wave will materialize out of maybe not nowhere, but out of a down state, which I think is uh, kind of like the basically stay healthy of approaching player development. Well, there is the off season. Rick Hahn is still going to be busy during the season. He has no choice but to continue having conversations as the trade deadline has been pushed back a couple of days. It is now extended into August. August 2nd is this year's trade deadline. And we all know that depending on how Lance Lynn recovers, we'll see how Dallas Keuchel holds up. Hopefully Michael Kopech ramps up to a full starters workload sooner than later. The White Sox are going to need another starting pitcher to get through the 2022 season and the 162 game marathon. So Rick Hahn's work is not done, even though we gave him some generous offseason grades in light of trading Craig Kimbrell, sorry, Craig Kimbrell for AJ Pollock. All right, so let's talk about vibes going to opening day, Lawrence. How are you feeling about the White Sox as we now approach opening day? I'm looking forward to seeing them. Like, I, I, I love the position part of this team. Like, there's a lot of good players to kind of wrap your arms around with this bunch. Like, Lucas and Tim and Abreu and Robert and Eloy. Like, they, it oozes charisma. Like they 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 make you want to watch along with what they can do. They they seem like a bunch that really likes each other. They seem like they're having fun. I think that with Eloy and Robert and, and Tim and Lucas in particular, those guys are exactly what baseball needs overall. The way that they approach the game is exactly what the game has been waiting for for a long time. So I'm excited. Something that you said, Josh, I, I think is really important. And that's the improvement of the rest of the division. And, and I was talking about it on the air today. It's, it's incremental. Like it's, it's the difference between 
five wins. Like, let's say it's five wins. Games that you thought you were going to win, and Detroit's a little bit better, so they squeak out a game in a three-game series or split a four-game series. You lose a, a, a series to the Twins that you didn't think you were going to. You lose a series to Kansas City. It, over the course of a season, it might be like five games. But those five games is is the difference. Like, that's the difference between you being a wild card and you not being a wild card. Like, that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I, that's why I'm so like, man, like, why didn't you, you know, go for it as much as you could have? But when I start thinking about the amount of joy that I'm going to get out of this spring and summer with that group, I get excited, man. Like, I... I really do. Like, I get excited about seeing what Tim Anderson does next and what a healthy Eloy does. Like, now now we're going to get, like, the full Eloy experience, hopefully, offensively. And, and I think that that means that he can end up being one of the best hitters in the league. Jim, how are you feeling? I know it's been a very busy week at Sox Machine as we merged with Future Sox and and the behind the scenes, folks, it has been very busy in the operations room. But how are your how are you feeling about the White Sox heading to opening day? Well, as I mentioned last time, I'm still very surprised when I learned that opening day is Friday. <laughs> like every time I hear it, like, oh no. <laughs> like, this, is, this is not right. Um yeah, I, I think you know, I, I'm of kind of two minds position player-wise, love it. I like that when you look at the lineup, like Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets might be batting eighth, <laughs> like Josh Harrison, as much as that move might not excite me, he's batting ninth. And if he's not great, Larry Garcia can bat ninth. And if he's not great, they have like three other second basemen they can try in the minor leagues that might be good and they can all bat ninth. So I really like that part. Reese McGuire, I thought was a great finishing move for that because that was my biggest doubt was like, what happens if Grandal goes down? Well, now you have Reese McGuire, who's fine defensively, like you know, perfectly adequate starting from a side of the platoon. Then you can have Carlos Perez maybe come up and be the Sebi Zavala of, of last year where he has some moments, but is ultimately more sound defensively. So position player-wise, love it. Pitching-wise, a little bit uncomfortable, but I think I, I kind of um, you know, maybe buoy that by the fact that I think just with how rushed spring was and how uh, condensed the schedule is going to be and how many off days are no longer there. I think every team probably is less comfortable with their pitching staff than even they thought. Like, I think maybe when you look at the division, like, you know, Detroit has promising arms, but they could be in a delicate state right now to where this kind of schedule could throw them off or they might have to manage innings even more carefully than before. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at, yeah, I think the Royals might be in better shape than anybody because they have like seven arms that are all worthy of starts. They just might not be good though. That's like, that's case. Like, you know, um, you know, when you look at, you know, I think Brady Singer's fine. You know, Carlos Sanz was impressive. Um, you know, but they have Daniel Lynch was iffy, like he should be better than he was, but he might not be at least early on. So they have guys that can swap in and out. I think like they're the healthiest of the rotations behind like, you know, especially Zach Granke leading the way, but they might not be good yet because they have their own individual pressures going on. So I think when you look at every team, looking at their starting pitching, they probably all wish like, Oh, I wish we could push this six man rotation. (laughs) I wish uh, this guy were a little bit more stretched out or wish this guy wasn't coming off an injury. I think everybody has those concerns. 
And I think April is really going to be about managing those concerns, not overreacting to bad starts, bad games, not, you know, I guess not throwing good money after bad when it comes to managing the bullpen to try to win games that might not be winnable or wise to go all out for in April. So that's going to be, uh, I think there are going to be some tense moments early in the season, but I think the White Sox are far from alone when it comes to just how they're going to have to balance long-term interests with maybe some short-term discomfort. Yeah, April could be a bit crazy. As a reminder, last year, the Kansas City Royals led the American League Central after the first month of the season. I would not be surprised if any other team other than the Chicago White Sox are leading the American League Central after the month of April. It is not an easy start for the White Sox. Heading to Detroit, and then their homestand, you got the upstart Seattle Mariners, you got the Tampa Bay Rays for that Jackie Robinson day and the first weekend at home. Then you go to Cleveland for a four-game series, and that's never an easy trip for the White Sox. And then you head up to Minneapolis for the first series against the Twins to get the first opportunity to see Carlos Correa, maybe a healthy Byron Buxton, White Sox did not see Byron Buxton at all in 2021 before coming home to face those pesky Royals. And then your reward for getting through all that, your final series of the month, the Angels come into town with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. And then you roll into May and June, and that schedule is incredibly tough for the White Sox. So my feeling is I am intrigued. I am excited with both of you. But I am intrigued to see in how the White Sox tackle these first series against their division rivals and how they adapt with the pitching staff that they got on hand. And can the offense shed the whole, well, it's cold outside, so our bats are cold. I think the offense really needs to pick up in order for the White Sox to avoid having a losing month in the month of April. But let's try to be optimistic first here. Before we get to worst case scenario for 2022, let's talk about best case scenario for 2022. And Lawrence, like I mentioned the intro, so many outlets have the White Sox going to the World Series or even winning the World Series this year. Obviously, that's the best case scenario for the team. Is that your best case scenario for the White Sox in 2022? Yes, and, and the way that it happens, and, and by the way, this is what everyone wanted, right? Yep. Like This is what the, the folks at 35th and Shields always wanted. They want the respect. Why is no one talking about the White Sox? Well, everyone's talking about the White Sox now. There's a level of expectation on the White Sox, and now we'll see if they can live up to it. The best-case scenario is that Lance Lynn comes back in exactly eight weeks, hmm. and he's fine. And, and like Grandal last year, his knee ends up being fine. He does well. The best case scenario is Michael Kopech gives you 135 innings as a start. You know, that Dallas Keuchel is a sub-5 ERA. I, I mean, I know I'm setting the bar, like, super <laughs> low. But come on. Like, that he's the sub-5 ERA and that – you bat your way into wins until the pitching stabilizes, which I think is possible. I do worry about what you're saying. Like there, there are those moments where you're going, Oh, you know, the white Sox are off to a slow start offensively and it'll get better. Once they, the, the weather starts to warm up. I'm not sure you can play that game in the American league central this year. I think that the teams this year are better enough 
mm-hmm. that they will make it more uncomfortable for you if you get off to a bad start. It'll give them a level of hope that they shouldn't have. That The White Sox should dominate this division. So don't give any of these other teams any sort of hope to start things off. That's the best case scenario for me. How about you, Jim? What's your best case scenario for the White Sox in 2022? I, I think, you know, World Series, just because when you look at the lineup, as I said, like they might not have to make that addition at the deadline. Like, you know, you can look at this roster and say like, well, you know, like one through nine's pretty solid. We might need a second baseman, but maybe like, you know, Romy Gonzalez is that guy, or maybe Olbert Sanchez is that guy, Jake Berger, not second base, but just, you know, providing some offensive depth. They have some like guys on the cusp who could be, you know, adequate to better at, you know, filling out a bench, uh, stepping in for a, an injury. So I, I think, uh, you know, like Oscar Kloss, I'll add him to the best case scenario to where like, he looks like a close to a finished product and like three months in, he looks like he's knocking down the door and all of a sudden <laughs> the rich get richer when it comes to outfield. And, and that's a weird thing to say when, before the AJ Pollock trade, we're thinking like, how is right field going to work? <laughs> right. So uh, that's, that's why I'm excited about the position player side pitching wise, you know, along with the uh, names that Lawrence mentioned and <laughs> left at the Dallas Keuchel uh, five year a Cause like, you know, uh, Lance Lynn eight weeks. Yes. Uh, you had uh Michael Kopech hundred three, five innings. Yes. Dallas Keuchel sub five year a like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's okay. Like <laughs> you, you kind of yeah, kind of lost the crowd of that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I should have led with that one. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I yeah, built up. You're right. I got the momentum totally <laughs> off. You're right. But but I will salvage that momentum by saying Dylan Cease. Uh, he could be part of a best case scenario to where like maybe he's the guy getting Cy Young votes this year, like a top five finish, uh, putting together his best self more often, figuring out how to make those. During the inning adjustments, I think he was able to get better at coming back from a bad inning. But I think what's still elusive with him is making that tweak between batters when he's firing into the left-handed batter's box. So I think he's one step away from being, instead of like five and a third, averaging you know five and two-thirds, averaging six and a third. And those two outs can mean a lot over the course of a season, and they can really shape the rotation in a way that we're not quite accounting for yet. So I'll include him in my best-case scenario as well. All right, so going from being optimistic, let's be natural White Sox fans and let's uh, feed into our pessimistic self. Lawrence, what is the worst case scenario for 2022 for the Chicago White Sox? Lance Lynn doesn't return in 12 weeks instead of eight. Uh, Michael Kopech, because my thing with Kopech is, Kopech is a cipher. We don't know what he is as a starter. We think... We know what he is or what he can be, but we don't know. On top of him struggling, the worst case scenario is hamstring issues with him or something like that that'll keep him from being a regular participant inside of your rotation. A a above five ERA for Dallas Keuchel and then trying to figure out exactly what you're going to do with him Things not clicking for Yasmani Grandal defensively and 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 Tony and and the organization having to figure out do we DH him? Can we DH him? Or do we allow him to box balls and allow runs to score? All of the things that we saw 
inside of the series against the Astros in October. That's the worst case scenario for me. And the crazy thing is, is like I, I guess we're kind of probably like predisposed. When I saw the Lance Lynn injury, and I'm just sitting there going, "Yeah, I kind of figured it was he was close to having something bad, like happen because of how last year ended." And it's just such a weird thing. I had Steve Stone on the show earlier this week, and he was talking about the entire league, but he's right. The way that they ramped up the pitchers to try and get the 162 in is dangerous. Like, let's call it what it is. Mm -hmm. Those guys need six weeks. You barely gave them four. Lucas Giolito was the only White Sox starter I saw that looked comfortable with, I think he got up to 90, 91 pitches on Sunday. He was the only one that I saw that looked comfortable at in his last start. And remember, Kopech was behind because of COVID. So when when Tony said, oh, yeah, here are three starters, I'm going, you mean two starters and an opener? Yeah. Because that, that you're going to – there's no way – are you going to ask Michael Kopech to, on his first start, throw 50 to 65 pitches? I don't, I don't know that that's a responsible thing to do. So that's my worst-case scenario that their pitching never gets figured out. And while they'll still be good at offensively, it might not be championship level good because their pitching is so in disarray. Jim, how about you? What do you think is the worst case scenario for the 2022 Chicago White Sox? Yeah, I, I think it, it's reminiscent of one of those Jerry Manuel teams, like not the good one, the other ones where they just had a lot of offense, but Pitching they were short on, especially like one key injury could throw them off. And then they're basically to the point where uh, they're burning furniture to stay warm. They're just kind of throwing anything to try to figure it out and get to the next day. And thing, wheels kind of fall off a lot of 11 to eight games, a lot of uh, Tony La Russa, you know, scratching his head and, and trying to make things sound better than they are and getting tested with the fans again uh, for not believing in uh, Jimmy Lambert or something like that. It, it's going to be, uh, yeah, that, that I think could be messy. The one thing I'll, I'll say is when you're rattling off the, like the April schedule, I was thinking like, it should, that schedule shouldn't feel as daunting. Like the Mariners should be mm-hmm. wary of the white Sox, not the other way around. And I'm not sure if that's like white Sox pessimism or more like the, like I'm thinking back to the Rick Hans first rebuild in like 2015, 2016, when they were trying to go for it. And you look at like the Central and you look at the American League and you say like, well, baseball's a zero-sum game. So if the White Sox are going to win 85 games, where are these other losses going to come from? Who's going to lose 85 games? Who's going to lose 88 games? And, and you know, my attitude at the time was, if you don't know who's going to lose those games, it's you. Like this, that's you know, kind of my attitude. And with this, like, it doesn't feel like the White Sox can are going to lose those games. Um, yeah, that, that, but I'm trying to, uh, I can't tell if I'm trying to talk myself into that. Like you look at the lineup and think like, this team should be good. This team should be, uh, they might, they might take some dents. They might, uh, you know, suffer some hole damage along the way, especially in the pitching staff. But if you, if you're of the mindset that every team is going to be wrestling with their pitchers the same way, then this offense should be good enough. Like you look at the Tigers offense, you look at the, um, Twins offense, you look at, you know, other offenses in division, Cleveland is, I'm not, I'm not even sure what their offense is aside from Jose Ramirez and, and Fran Mio Reyes, but 
it seems like that should be enough to win the day, I think, because I think just because of the dangerous factors of ramping up pitching staff, I think it just could be slugfest all over, like a lot of sloppy mm-hmm. games, a lot of position players pitching, <laughs> like 19 to four games, a lot of uh, 13, 10 slobber knockers and just being a complete mess. But I think the White Sox, if that is like the state of the league, I think they're in a better position than most teams to win those kinds of games. My worst case scenario on Friday, June 17th, Lawrence, you invite me on your show to talk about the White Sox and they're 26 and 32. And it's because of the daunting schedule that they have in May and June against the contending teams that we are expecting to be contenders and the White Sox fall flat on their face, much like as you referenced the Houston Astros series. And if that happens, it's going to feel like a little bit of the 2021 Chicago Bulls where maybe this team should be better. But boy, they cannot beat the good teams. And that's the same narrative that we had in the 2021 season for the Chicago White Sox. And the second half of the schedule for the White Sox is a lot easier. The schedule gets a lot easier for the White Sox post-All-Star break this season, where I think we're going to see a reverse in that in 2021, they started red hot, then they played 500 ball after the All-Star break. I can honestly see the White Sox playing 500 ball up to the All-Star break. Switch gets flipped because the strength of schedule gets easier for them. And they somehow win 90 plus games because they get red hot in the second half of the season. I think that's my worst case scenario is that if we speak on that day and there's six games below 500, I think that's going to create panic in the clubhouse because these guys are coming in with a chip on their shoulder and they are very motivated to prove that they are better than the team than they were in October. And if they face these contending teams in May and June and get punched in the mouth, And we're rolling up and we're getting close to July and trade talk season kicks in and Rick Hahn is sitting on his hands because he doesn't know what kind of team he's got on hand currently. I think that's the worst case scenario of the White Sox find themselves six games below 500 at that point, because I I, I got some bad news for you, though, Josh. What's that? If the White Sox are on June 17th or 26 and 32. Yeah, man, I think I think your segment is going to get bumped. I think. uh (laughs) I, I don't know if there's a Bears Machine podcast, but I think that, <laughs> I, I think I'll be talking to the Bears Machine guys about minicamp. If the White Sox, man, if they're 26 <laughs> and 32, I'm gonna be so angry that they, I will not be invited back to 35th and Shields if they are 26 and 32. Oh my God, you are painting a bleak picture for me. Well, what if Josh just comes schedule, on and though? you yell at him? Like you, <laughs> Josh doesn't even talk. Josh just gets yelled at. I love that's it. It, It's a date. If the if the White Sox are 26 and 32, I'm literally putting you on the air. I'm gonna introduce you, talk about how great the Sox Machine podcast is, and then just start yelling at you. Then mute you. And then hang up. That's it. As long as you compliment us on the way out. No, no, no. No, Sox Machine is gonna get all the love. I'm I'm just be like, okay, let's let's bring our buddy Josh Nelson from the Sox Machine on. Josh, you did this. You said <laughs> this. You're the one who made it this way. Spoken to existence. Uh, so yeah, that's my worst case scenario for the 2022 <laughs> season. <laughs> we'll continue our 2022 Chicago White Sox season predictions next after a quick word from our sponsors. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we went through the best case, we went through the worst case, and naturally, it's going to land somewhere in the middle between worst and the best case scenario. So it's time for us to share our win-loss prediction for the Chicago White Sox in 2022. Lawrence, I'll start with you. What is the record that you have in your head looking at the White Sox upcoming regular season? Give me the White Sox to win 93 games and the American League Central. I have the same exact win total. I was at 95, Jim, before the Lance Lynn injury. With Lance Lynn missing eight weeks, I'm taking two wins off of that total. So I'm with Lawrence, repeating a 93-69 and record for the White Sox in 2022. What is your win-loss record, Jim, for the White Sox? I had 92, so we're basically all in the same place. We were that way last year. I was 90-72, and and you were 89-73, and so... We're staying close here. And again, the White Sox did beat our expectations by three or four games. So if they do that again, then they're sitting at 95, 96 wins. What seed do you think, Jim, lands a 92 or 93 win White Sox team in the American League? Because again, this is important as one of the division winners is going to have to play in that first round playoff series, the new playoff series hosting a three-game series against the sixth seed? I think that's probably the worst division winner. Uh, just, I always think the AL East is going to steal wins from itself, but it never really seems to. <laughs> like, uh, I just see, see those four teams, especially Toronto, like, you would think like, oh, maybe they're, they'll all end up around 89 wins. But then it usually ends up with Baltimore losing 140 and everybody else winning 90-plus and, and, and the White Sox being on the outside looking in. So I, I think... Between the AL West looking a little lopsided and with uh, top heavy and bottom heavy and AL East just beating up on everybody who isn't themselves, I think uh, that's probably good for the third best record. That's kind of where I see it too. Like I see them winning the division and them ending up in the same space of 
of, of your okay, you're 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 the worst division winner, and then we'll see how they match up uh, against whomever that that team is. And it seems like all those teams that were kind of sniffing around that last year are are better. And like even a team like the Angels, I I know that that they have like all of the talent. Like when you see Otani and Trout and, and Rendon. They don't have enough pitching, and that's problematic. But I, I think that they're poised to make a jump this year. I think the American League West is going to be a rock fight between three teams, and the American League East. Toronto scares the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're a really scary team. Like it's almost like they're a bit of a mirror of the White Sox, where it's the same type of swag it's the same type of our lineup is filled with thunder come get some like it it feels that way to me they scare me even more than the rays and i know the rays are gonna be there because they're always there but toronto scares the daylights out of me in the american league east i i agree with you lawrence i have the blue jays winning the american league east I actually have Seattle surprising, and I think they're the team that takes off the American League West, and I think they surprise, and they win that division in a very tough fight with the Houston Astros. But you're both right. I mean, you mentioned Baltimore. They have no interest in winning games this year. If they win 50 games, I'm, I'd be surprised. Oakland has zero interest in winning games. Right. My conspiracy theory with Oakland is the movie Major League. They are purposely tanking and trying to create the worst roster possible to lose any support of staying in Oakland, and that forces them to move to Las Vegas. I should say, in quotes, forces them to move to Las Vegas, (laughs) which is what they actually want to do rather than stay in Oakland. And to do that, let's field the worst possible team. I think with those two teams, they could lose a combined 220 games this year. Uh, which really will inflate records in the American League West and the American League East, where maybe you will see two division winners in those divisions win 100 games. And, yeah, then it makes sense that a 92 or 93-win White Sox team is the third seed going to face the sixth seed in the upcoming postseason. All right, so looking at the White Sox roster, instead of just doing season awards – Lawrence, who do you think is going to be the most valuable player for the Chicago White Sox at the end of 2022? Ooh, what a great question. Because I I have a couple of different candidates. Obviously, like, you see what this team is with and without Tim Anderson. Like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's apparent. I think their most valuable player is going to be Luis Robert. I, I agree with everyone else that says... He's ready to take that leap, not a next step, a leap. He's so damn good. He's so good in the outfield. And and I was concerned that if we go back to the 20 playoffs, the light had kind of clicked on at the end of it, but I was concerned that he was still struggling with breaking pitches. I think that man is ready to be a top 10 MVP type player this year. So if he's going to be that in the league, then he's probably that on their team. How about you, Jim? Who do you think is going to be the most valuable player for the White Sox in 2022? Yeah, I think it's the boring answer, but it's the most exciting player, Luis Robert. Like just the way he came back and figured out fastballs and figured out like how to hit aggressively with the zone he has, but still look within control. 
kind of remind you, yeah, I think of the scene a lot whenever this player makes this kind of adjustment, but like when in Jurassic Park, when the Raptors learn how to open the door and you just mm-hmm. think like, oh crap, like <laughs> this, this, we're in trouble. I, I get that same impression with Robert, the way he just, he made his swing look simple, but he still hit the, he hit the ball even harder looking like he was doing less. And that is scary. I think like the only thing that was really lacking with him was he didn't look hundred percent aggressive or certain with his legs. Like he took some softer routes in the outfield. He wasn't as aggressive on the base paths. He looked like he was protecting that a little, which is understandable, but at the plate, he looked like he had, you know, we've only seen him, you know, a few years, especially around the injuries, but he looks so in control at the plate that if he gets his legs back to basically like 95% of what they were beforehand, when he was able to beat out infield singles to the right side of the infield, uh, I think the American league is in for a lot of trouble. So just here's hoping that he wears the oven mitts when he's running the bases and keeps his thumb out of the way and is able to avoid his, uh, you know, hamstrings or hips exploding, um, because if he stays healthy and he should, um, yeah, there's, I, there's really nothing he can't do. I agree with both of you. Actually, Luis Roberts, my pick to win the American League MVP. I'm going to throw some love to Aloy Jimenez. I think if Aloy, during the season, we are having the conversation that he's going toe-to-toe with Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the Triple Crown categories, that is part of the White Sox best-case scenario, and that is going to lift Aloy from a three-war type of player because his defense is terrible to up to a six-war type of player. And if Aloy Jimenez is six-war and Luis Robert is six-plus-war and we know that Anderson and Mikata and Grandal can be four-plus-war, then, yeah, it's starting. It's time to start believing the White Sox can make it to the World Series. If you're looking for a fulcrum, which is a very popular topic for Sox Machine over the years, Aloy Jimenez could be a good target for the fulcrum for the White Sox, who could play a big factor in just how far this team goes. But instead of a fulcrum, let's talk about breakout player, Lawrence. Who is someone that you think could break out for the White Sox in 2022 that maybe we're not talking a lot about? Well, I mean, they've got a bunch of established players. So finding a breakout player for them, to me, is difficult. I'm not as big of I'm not as big on Andrew Vaughn as most people are. So I'll go with Gavin Sheets. Mm. I think that there are some opportunities for Gavin Sheets. I'm in love with his swing. There's two players this year whose swing I am entranced by. Gavin Sheets and Seiya Suzuki. I love both of them. I love their approach at the plate. So I'm going to say that he's going to get opportunities because the, the numbers say that A.J. Pollock averages 90 games a year. Gavin Sheets is going to get some at-bats. I think LaRusa is in love with him. I'll pick him as my breakout player for the White Sox this year. So my follow-up question on Gavin Sheets, what part of his swing do you like so much? I like how fluid it is. I like that that when he connects, there it's really like no doubt. Like I love the screaming line drives that he mm-hmm. hits. His finish is – like it's – Lefties have an advantage whenever we talk about swings. Lefties, their swing always looks beautiful. When he is balanced at the plate and you see that perfect parabola, oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, ball in air. That's why I like about Gavin Sheets' swing too. Uh, Jim, how about you? Who is your breakout player for the White Sox 
in 2022. Yeah, I was wrestling with the uh, term breakout too, because I was ranking the, uh, I'm in the process of ranking my 40 something most essential white socks of the year. And when you get past like, you know, when you get in the twenties or even like, you know, past number 20 towards number one, everybody's pretty good. And, and like, if, if, you know, a player were to have like a four win season, instead of a two win season, it wouldn't be a you know, terribly big surprise. I think sheets was up there. I'm just not quite sure what kind of playing time he might get. If Andrew Vaughn turns in the guy, I think that's kind of like a little bit of a zero sum affair there to where like, if one takes the lead, the other might, uh, you know, fall by the wayside or head down to triple a or something like that. So if I'm going total breakout, like off the radar surprise, I'm, you know, and of course he, he hurt himself or had to leave the game early today, but Jake Berger, I think could have an interesting part of this team just because when you look at what he did last year, after three years off, um, you know, not having played any games whatsoever and he goes to AAA and he looks like he was there all along or was on a perfectly normal uh, progression through the minors. He struck out a little bit more than he'd want him to, but considering the time he missed, like he played third. Okay. He, I don't believe in him as a second baseman, but he took on the challenge with uh, enthusiasm and that didn't throw him off offensively. Like you often hear uh, the white Sox kind of wringing their hands about positional changes. Like after the Gordon Beckham thing about might be able to throw him off. Like he looked perfectly fine, wore down a bit at the end of the year uh, as you might expect from somebody who hasn't that, that much action, but Given how good he looked with that much time off, I'm inclined to think that just another year of normal reps, he could be somebody who, you know, cuts down the strikeouts a little bit, is a little bit less jumpy at the plate because he's trying to uh, make up for five at bats with one. Uh, I think he's somebody who could settle into a nice pro groove. And like, say, if Juan Moncada, you know, pulls a hamstring or something like that, like Berg could step in and all of a sudden, like make himself a problem in a good way. And that like, oh, how are we going to send this guy down? Like, how do we how do we get this guy at bat? So if he can stay healthy and of course, I, he uh, had to leave the game after stretching a single into a double. Um, yeah, that could be the thing that ultimately keeps him out of the mix. But if he stays healthy and, and has a year like he did last year, health wise, which wasn't perfect, but still adequate. Like he could, uh, he could be an interesting second half figure uh, to where like the White Sox have to design ways to get him involved. My breakout player is one that James Fegan of the Athletics sold me on when he and I recorded an episode. And I'm going to the bullpen. I'm going to Kyle Crick. We saw in 2020 what happened when Evan Marshall came from nowhere. He was a non-roster invitee, and he made the team. And he became pretty pivotal to the White Sox bullpen and helping the White Sox get into the postseason. We know about Graveman. We know about Bummer. We know about Hendricks. Joe Kelly eventually will be returning to the White Sox sometime, hopefully in April or at least in early May. But during these tough stretches, if Kyle Crick, a guy that was given up on, he joins the White Sox minor league camp and he works with the pitching staff and he learns some new tricks if he could be a dependable sixth inning guy for the White Sox to help bridge to the high leverage relievers, he's going to lessen the sting of the woes of the starting pitching until they get ramped up or until Lance Lynn arrives. So I think Kyle Crick is definitely someone to keep an eye on early for the White Sox. Uh, someone that a lot of fans don't know too much about. And all of a sudden he's striking out guys and he's putting up scoreless innings and everyone's asking us, 
who is this guy? And Jim's got to dedicate 750 words uh, to explain who he is, where he comes from, and what makes him so effective. So 400 uh, of those words, James Fegan quotes from articles he's written. Yeah, and exactly. He's embedded. So yeah, that 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 is <laughs> Fegan's guy. So yep. I, that, I'm going with Fegan's guy is my breakout player because recent history we have seen that already with Evan Marshall in the 2020 season. All right, finally. Let's get into our World Series prediction. As I mentioned from the get-go, there are many, many people picking the Chicago White Sox to make the World Series this year. Some of them are picking them to win it all. So, Lawrence Holmes, what is your World Series prediction for the 2022 season? A repeat of 2020. Rays, Dodgers. All right. And who do you have winning between those this two This time teams? I got the Rays. All right. So the Rays, why are you on the uh, Rays bandwagon here? I just think organizationally, they'll figure out a way because they always do. Yeah, they're annoying. Uh And and, and with the Dodgers, (laughs) it's a lot of the Rays magic with a bajillion dollars. So it's always fun to, to talk about like those two teams. I, I was close to making it be Toronto and the Dodgers, because I, I am high on the Blue Jays this season. Mm-hmm. I really want it to be the White Sox guys. Like, I really do. But I think some of their – some of the things that we've seen be a problem for them in the last two postseasons will keep them from winning again. I don't think that there is enough emphasis put on defense with them. And it's a trade off. Like, you got – guys that that match and you got to give them opportunities and there's only one dh eventually that comes back to haunt you those extra runs extra innings extra pitches on on guys's arms they come back to haunt you so that's why i'm saying you know what i i really would love for them to be there but i i just don't fully trust them if that makes any sense. It does. It it makes a lot of sense. And hopefully hopefully Tim Anderson continues to get better defensively. A healthy Luis Robert makes things look better in center field. And having AJ Pollock in right field helps out in that situation. But you are right. If we still see blunders on balls set up the middle, if the White Sox are still not shifting properly, given that this is their last season where they can use the shift, you know, in extreme situations, but they choose not to. Yeah, the defense could also be part of the headaches for the White Sox heading into the postseason. How about you, Jim? What is your World Series prediction? I have Jays Dodgers. Like I tried to talk myself out of the Blue Jays just because they haven't quite done it yet. And I think there is something to figuring out how a team gets there, like they're, whether it's postseason managing, whether it's uh, roster building towards the end, it seems like the teams like the Rays, like the Dodgers, the teams that get there often, Houston's another one. They just have that tweak in August or they have that, um, you know, the, the extra surplus of talent or shorter starts. They have like a strategy that helps them win extra games uh, in those desperate kind of situations. <laughs> I think with the Dodgers, I was thinking like, well, they had a lighter workload last year and a lighter workload for them is six game loss in the NLCS. So uh, just when you look at their resources, they get there. But 
I, I like the Blue Jays. I like what they've done. Part of me just wants to see that kind of process rewarded. Also, I like the the factor of other AL East teams might not be at 100% when playing in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that could maybe mess with some heads a little bit. Like when you have Chris Sale talking about how he's irritated that he's letting the team down because he broke a rib and teammates are going to pick up a slack. And then like somebody asks if he's vaccinated and he says like, uh, no. And that's my decision. And I'm sorry if teammates have to pick up my slack. <laughs> like, right. I could see some rosters being tied in knots a little bit by just the fact that, uh, you know, that they have that, uh, issue to deal with. And the blue Jays have that issue to deal with going the other way. They just all agree to have done it. Um, so it's not anything like, you know, it's not unfair, just more of a matter of, uh, uh, just, uh, teamwork i suppose it's it's very uh you know it's a very basic form of teamwork but teamwork nevertheless so i'm hoping that pays dividends as well as well because that could be some fascinating interpersonal dynamics in the al east if you see teams fielding 21 man rosters going north of the border yeah aaron judge is also another one that may not be able to play games in toronto if that ban is still implemented, even though the New York City has lifted their ban and has allowed Aaron Judge to play home games. That was interesting uh, <laughs> in screen training to see if Judge was going to be able to play in Yankee Stadium. Guys, I can tell you, I traveled to Canada last year. I went to Montreal uh, in, in the summertime. Canada is not playing, man. Yeah. Like they, they make you do all sorts of stuff just to get into the country and I know that, that these are performers and it's Major League Baseball and all that stuff, but but Canada is not playing around with this. So maybe maybe things will get better. Maybe that we'll continue to see some of the case loads continue to drop and hospitalizations drop and deaths drop, and we'll be in a much better place midseason, and this won't be an issue for a big part of it. But you have to download an app. You've got to you've got to put all of your information on an app. They have to then approve you coming into the country from from the I think it's the Arrive Canada app. Like they're really really not playing up there. So I I I, I don't see them relenting unless the the numbers get so much better that we are officially in the endemic stage of this versus the pandemic. Well, have you seen their cigarette warning ads? I mean, they don't play with those either. Oh, you're <laughs> those right. Are, those are graphic images on those. So yeah, when it comes to public health, they uh, they go two steps further than uh, uh, than we're used to seeing. And I gotta tell you, man, I'm I'm always I'm pretty paranoid anyway. But that is the most safe I've felt in two years. <laughs> the four days that I was in Montreal was the most safe that I've felt. Like it was it was nuts and it was beautiful. And for baseball fans. They should 100% go to Montreal. Hell yes. There's a beautiful, and Jim, I appreciate you uh, hooking me up with some ideas on what to do while I was there, but that place is starving for baseball. Like, it's starving for it. And I talk with so many fans that love the game up there, and the Jackie Robinson mural will bring a tear to your eye because he's everywhere in Montreal. Like, they – they really do treat him as if he was theirs because, you know, he was for a while while he was waiting to get to the major leagues. It's a wonderful place, and I'm so pissed that baseball didn't give the split schedule for, for Tampa because, man, I was ready for a White Sox-Tampa Bay Rays game in Montreal. Man, I was, 
I was ready to go. I was ready to go up there and have a good time in Montreal. Well, Jim, between the Blue Jays and Dodgers, who do you have winning that matchup? I think the uh, I have to go with the Dodgers. I think if I'm if I'm going on a little bit of faith with the Blue Jays getting there, I, I think I uh, can't quite get the last mile. So I think we'll say the Dodgers uh, snuff out those hopes. All right. And then I'll wrap it up with the White Sox over Padres. For these two organizations, I really feel like it's now or never. If it's not going to happen in 2022, I really don't know how it's going to happen in 2023 and beyond, especially now that Cohen has taken over the team in Queens. Atlanta is incredibly strong. Maybe one day the Ricketts family wakes up, takes some of that money from Chelsea and puts it back into the Chicago Cubs and they start spending. The San Francisco Giants are getting smarter and the Colorado Rockies are weird. But for both of these organizations, they have put in so many chips in the middle of the pile. We have been talking about these organizations meeting each other possibly in this type of destiny world series. If it doesn't happen in 2022, I don't know if it'll ever happen, especially with how other teams in the league are improving. These are 2022 is just not a critical year for the Chicago White Sox. I also think it's a very critical year for the San Diego Padres because if they fall flat on their face again, I think they're going to have a new general manager running that team in 2023. That won't be the case for the White Sox unless they have a new chairman. But for the Padres, it's do or die for them. And uh, I have the White Sox over the Padres because I'm going to be a homer. But that will do it for our 2022 season predictions. And you guys can make fun of us later at the end of the season to see how wrong we are. But who knows? Maybe we will be right. Maybe one of us will be right with the World Series prediction. And then we can say, we told you so back on April 6th. Well, you can follow Lawrence on Twitter. He's at Lawrence W. Holmes. Listen to the House of L podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. One of his most recent episodes with Sean Kane. If you're a football fan, that was an awesome episode, Lawrence. Love that episode. Definitely check that out. And, of course, you can listen to Lawrence Monday through Friday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. on 670 The Score. Lawrence, as always, man, thank you so much for joining us in the Sox Machine Podcast. You guys always make it so much fun. I'm here whenever you call. And, of course, Jim, we got the regular season starting on Friday, man. So what? We're, I know. <laughs> Ready or not. Here we go, folks, as we go into opening day. And, of course, we'll be bringing you daily coverage of the Chicago White Sox throughout the regular season on SoxMachine.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. You can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you go to Patreon.com slash SoxMachine to sign up. Monthly plans start at $2 a month, and you can save on an annual plan. And you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Lawrence Holmes and Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.